you have your Bible, I invite you to take it and turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We will be in chapter 8. We will be picking up in verse 12. The Gospel of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. We're going to be continuing this morning in our sermon series following in the season of Lent as we spend these seven weeks looking at the seven different I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of God's Word, feel free to take that Bible that's in the back of the pew in front of you as our gift to you. We'll be happy to replenish it. Regardless of how you're accessing the Word of the Lord, whether it's in print or digital on the screen or on a device, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now at John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, I'll read through verse 30. When I've completed verse 30, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful to the Lord for his word, I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's look together now, John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. The word of the Lord says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the father who sent me in your law. It is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin where I am going. You cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going? You cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. 
As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week we began our sermon series looking at the I Am statements by discussing first, briefly, what the I Am statements mean or signify on the front end. Each of these seven statements is a metaphor, and you have I Am in front of it. Jesus says that in the way that he says it, he is directly attributing that the name God gives Moses in Exodus 3.14 is his name. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, there should be no confusion among his audience in that day that he is claiming to be God. That's why they get so frustrated at him. That's why there are so many times that they want to arrest him, but they can't because he's so popular among the people. So last week he talked about how he is the bread of life. This week we look at how Jesus says he is the light of the world. We're going to continue through this sermon series during this time of Lent where we prepare our hearts for what will happen at Easter. And what we encouraged last week, and I hope that you took the challenge. I've heard from a few folks that there have been things that you have fasted and given up. You're not trying to twist God's arm and make him do what you're praying about. You're removing something from your life to focus when you crave that thing on Jesus. To focus on this time in Jesus' life. Some of you have even said that because we talked about Jesus being the bread of life and we are in the season of Lent, that this past Monday you gave up bread. God bless you. Stay strong, brothers and sisters. Bread is good. All right. This week, Jesus is the light of the world. We'll also talk about he's the door of the sheep. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. So we will spend this Lenten season talking about how Jesus doesn't mix words. He says who he is. And I've had people talk to me that are non-believers who have said there's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus himself says that he is God. That's one of the reasons that these I am statements are so important because Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is not just some prophet. Jesus is either one with God the Father or absolutely a madman that we should disregard and forget ever lived. The way that Jesus spoke, there's no in-between ground. He may have been speaking in a way that communicated best to his own audience, but over and over again, he declares that he is God. We have one God. He is one being expressed in three persons. I don't know how that works, okay? And every time we try to make an analogy as to how that works, we always fall short. I've heard people use the apple analogy. There was a time in my life I used the apple analogy. It's like God is an apple, right? And then what you've got is you've got the sun. It's like the skin of the apple, okay? And then the meat of the apple is like the Holy Spirit. And then the core of the apple is like God the Father. See, all three make up the apple, but it's one apple. No, unfortunately, that's not the case because Jesus is fully God and the Son. God the Father is fully God and God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is fully God and God the Holy Spirit. So it's like having three apples in one apple. And every one of those apples is its own apple, but it's all part of this other apple. Does that make any sense? No. Do we understand it? No. 
Are we going to understand it? No. But Jesus does shed light on it in this passage. When he says that he is the light of the world and he is talking to these people, he is saying that not only does he bear witness about who he is, but the Father bears witness about who he is. Later in the Gospel of John, we're going to see where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So the Father sent him. He is the Son. He was sent by the Father. And yet he and the Father are still one. This is our God. He gave up his one and only Son for us, but he also gave up his own life for us at the same time. It's paradoxical. It's mind-blowing. But that's what our God did for us. That's the light that Jesus is talking about. It's not just some fluorescent light that you flip on or flip off. It is spiritual light into spiritual darkness. These metaphors are things that Jesus uses to take things that we know, things that we experience, and talk about things that we can't know, things that we have not yet fully experienced. But it's amazing how John weaves this statement in with everything else that's happening in chapter 8. Look with me, if you will, take your Bible back open, and look just before this passage in chapter 12. You have people who are judging this woman caught in the act of adultery. You you have, in verse 40 of chapter 7 and following, you have Jesus talking about, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And so then you have the episode of the woman caught in adultery, where they never brought the man up for charges, which is what Scripture would have absolutely demanded that they do. If people, two people, were caught in the act of adultery, both should have been brought forth for judgment, but only the woman was brought forth. Then leaving that, he begins to say that he is the light of the world. John continues this theme of judgment by saying, we're in court and you're claiming to be the light of the world, and you can't say that on your own. Listen, I know that we may look at the law that is given in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and think that is crazy. That is too burdensome. But I want you to understand something. When God gave that law to the Israelites, it was extremely fair. It was well ahead of all the other laws around them. The law in all the rest of the Middle East was, if you steal a banana from my banana cart, I'm going to kill you. And that's my repayment for you stealing. So you steal, you get put to death. Um, that's a pretty intense punishment for stealing, right? You just took the banana because you were hungry and you couldn't afford it. Maybe a bit of an overreaction. But what does the law that God gives teach? An eye for an eye. Now, Jesus turns that on its head a little bit. But I want you to recognize that what Jesus is saying is this law was good and this law was fair. That if somebody takes your eye, you take their eye. Equal repayment, justice being served, the scales being balanced. And so they had a justice system set up to where I couldn't just walk in this morning and say, Clayton murdered somebody. I saw it. I saw it. He is he is red-handed caught. I walked in and I watched him pull the trigger and that person died. I'm going to the district attorney. I'm going to the police office. I'm going to tell everybody that Clayton is a murderer. Well, in other societies... We'd all just turn into a mob and take Clayton out. We wouldn't even bother with a trial. We'd just hang him up and he's dead and the murderer's now dead and it's all good. All right, we'd miss Clayton a little bit, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it'd be a lot quieter. We can all agree on that, right? 
Love you, buddy. But in the Levitical law, in the law that God gives, it demands that there be two witnesses. You can't just randomly accuse somebody of some crime, small or heinous. You have to have corroborating stories. You have to have two witnesses. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, they know that he's saying he is God. They know that he's equating himself with God the Father. And so they say, this testimony cannot be true because you're one person and you're bearing witness about yourself. If I came to you this morning and I said, uh, hey guys, I've been working out a little bit. Been hitting the gym every so often. I don't know if you guys can notice. Been doing some bench pressing. Yeah. Got my pecs nice and strong. Bench press 500. 500 easy. Let me tell you, it ain't nothing. I throw that bar up and I catch it and bring it back down. I'm a man. Bench press 500. How many of y'all would go? <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's great, Pastor. We see how your chest is caved in. There's no way that you could lift 200 pounds, much less 500 pounds, right? No, no, no. I'm serious. I'm telling you, it's me. I could do it. Right, but I'm testifying about myself. I'm saying something very outlandish. Now, what if I came up to you and I told Greg, I said, Greg, I was at the gym the other day and both Chris and Wesley saw me bench press 500 pounds. And now Chris and Wesley attest to Greg and say, we saw it with our own eyes. We felt the weight. We know that he lifted that weight. We know that he is as strong as he says he is. Well, now Greg has two choices. He has to say, huh, maybe Nathan's a lot stronger than I thought he was. Or he has to realize that all three of us are lying through our teeth. So those are your options. That's what they're claiming about Jesus. This is outlandish. There's no way you can be this person. There's no way that this can be true. And you are the only one testifying it. We need more witnesses. And that's when Jesus goes into the rest of chapter 8. The, the argument even continues after the passage where we stopped in verse 30 at the end of chapter 8 is where that passage comes up that we talked about last week. Where they're still grilling him about who are you? Who is your other witness? What is this relationship between you and the father? Don't you know about Abraham? And Jesus looks at him square in the eyes and he says, not only do I know about Abraham, but before Abraham was, I am. Now, he could have said, before Abraham was, I was. Or before Abraham was, I was already existing. He could have said any of those things. But he chose to say, before Abraham was, I am. Because again, that hearkened back to what they knew God's name is. So, in multiple occasions, he is saying, you don't understand. I and the Father are one. I am the I am. And they get so frustrated, they pick up stones so that they might throw them at him and kill him. And he slips through their midst. All of this from him declaring to them, he is the light of the world. This theme of being the light of the world is all through the Gospel of John, all through Scripture. Look with me at John chapter 1. Jesus talks about the fact that he is the light, that he is the true light. It starts in John 1 and it carries all throughout this gospel. This is a passage that's well known. You may be familiar with it, but in the beginning of John's gospel, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That use of the word, Word, is a reference to Christ. He, Christ, the Word, was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light of humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Folks, before we move on to another verse, don't ever forget, Jesus is the light of the world. And the light shines into the darkness. And even 2,000 some odd years later, when there's war in Ukraine, when we're worried about World War III, when we're on the end of a pandemic that we hope goes away and never comes back, when markets are crashing, when retirement accounts aren't what they should be, when we don't know how we're going to make ends meet, the light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It doesn't matter what's going on on the geopolitical scene all around the world, the light still shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It doesn't matter what diagnosis you get from the doctor or the surgeon. It doesn't matter how bleak and how hopeless life may look. Light continues this day to shine in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it because Jesus is the light of the world. And he tells us, take heart in this world. You'll have troubles, but fear not I have overcome the world. The light overcame the darkness because he is the light and he overcame the world. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. And there is hope and there is life and there is light because Jesus is the light of the world. The foreshadowing right here in verse 5 to what Jesus will say all the way in 8.12. And then verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Wait a minute, I thought they said Jesus only had one witness. Jesus didn't even bother referring to John the Baptist in this particular dispute with the Pharisees and the leaders of the law. He could say, I got three witnesses. I'm testifying about myself. I'm testifying about God the Father says that he's testifying for me. And John the Baptist came to testify that I am the light. He's got three witnesses. They've got nothing on him. He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light. But he came once again to bear witness about the light. You see how important it is to have your witnesses. If you're going to go to court, you better have your witnesses ready or you're going to lose your trial. Jesus had all his witnesses lined up, ducks in a row, not a crack in any one of his arguments. He could say with all full assurance and authority, he is the light. He and the Father are one, and there is light that now shines in the darkness. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Doesn't that sound like what's happening in chapter 8? He says, I'm the light of the world. He's shining the flashlight in their faces, and they won't look. They won't open their eyes. They don't receive him. They don't hear his testimony. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. We have seen this light. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and of truth. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 19. 
chapter 8 speaks about Jesus and his judgment, how he will judge, who he will judge. Not only does he have his witnesses lined up, but he is the judge, the jury, the executioner, and everyone in between. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Don't read that and think about Russia. Don't read that and think about that person that you're really mad at right now. I read that and I think of Nathan. This is what Nathan did. This is the judgment against Nathan, that the light came into the world and Nathan loved the darkness rather than the light because my works were evil. That was where I was when the light shined for me. I was in darkness. I was evil. I need the light of Christ to shine in my life so that that darkness will be expelled from my heart. So that I no longer pursue evil, but I pursue good because I'm chasing the light of Christ. When you read that the the people loved darkness rather than the light, put your name there instead of the people. Say, I loved darkness rather than the light because my works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This morning, I wonder, as we read, as we talk about these things, have you ever come to what is true? Have you ever come to the light? Are you sitting in darkness and you love the darkness? And you don't realize that you're in the darkness because you've been in the darkness for so long. Have you ever sat in a dark room and right when you turn the lights out, everything is so dark you can't see a thing, right? And then slowly your eyes adjust to the darkness. And slowly you get more and more accustomed and can see more and more detail in the darkness. And so you begin to function as though you're in the light because you can see, but you have no idea how well you can see until you turn on the light and you see what the room really is. How many of us were little kids and we'd wake up in the middle of the night and we'd see some scary shadow on the wall and turn on the light just to find out it was a branch outside the window casting a shadow on the wall. We were afraid of nothing. That's life in the darkness. We're afraid of shadows cast in the darkness. We're afraid of things that we don't understand because we won't turn and run to the light. The darkness can be dangerous. Listen, when I was growing up, my brother had a room downstairs. There were no windows in his room. It was the cherished, sought-after room in the house. It stayed the coolest. It was the most comfortable. He had a waterbed down there for crying out loud. But it was dark. And so it worked out great for him when he ended up working night shifts and lived at home while he was in college. And he could stay down there and be asleep and never knew the difference. But what we did to him was very unfair. My mother was the ringleader of this. But to go to the restroom from my brother's room, you had to go out into a dark hallway. So there was a light on so you could see your way through. Well, then after you come out of that hallway with the light, you turn to go up the stairs and it's pitch black upstairs. So once you turn the corner and go upstairs, you've been staring into the light and you can't really see what's going on. So we realized for him to go up the stairs and walk across the house to get to the bathroom, he would still be struggling to adjust to the darkness. 
And so we used to see how much stuff from the house we could plant in that hallway that led to the bathroom. And I think my favorite time was the time he tackled the vacuum cleaner. That one was pretty special. This is the same brother who put an electric dog collar on me to shock me, so he earned it, okay? Don't, don't feel bad for my brother, okay? We, we loved each other in a brotherly way, and we played pranks on each other. And the night that I was laying awake in bed waiting on my brother to come through the hallway, and he plowed into that vacuum cleaner, man, that was a good night. It's a good night for me. The next day was not so good, but that night, that was good. My brother's eight years older than me, so I never stood a chance, right? We can hurt ourselves in the darkness. There can be obstacles and things that we don't see. And we end up in pain and we don't know why, but it's because we won't run to the light. Folks, this morning, if if you've never accepted the light of Christ into your life, don't leave here today without knowing the light of Jesus. It continues, though. Turn with me to John 12. Turn with me to John 12. John 12, beginning in verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going while you have the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. John 12, verse 46. Skip down 10 verses. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Folks, there's too many of us that are remaining in darkness. Because here's what happens. When we trust in Christ, when we give our life over to the light of the world, there's a transaction that takes place. And there is a light that comes into our lives, and we become the light. More and more, there is less and less darkness in our hearts and in our souls, and we shine the light of Christ. Scripture lays this out for us. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus says, you, talking to all of those who were there listening, all those in the Sermon on the Mount, thousands of people gathered in front of him, and he's talking to anyone who believes in Jesus, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father who is in heaven. There is, there is a commandment. There is a call that comes with accepting the light into our lives. And it is shining our light before others. And you don't take a light and and hide it under a bushel. You don't take a light and cover it up in any way. Listen, I love this analogy because when the darkness is the darkest, the light is the lightest, right? When the darkness is as dark as it can be, lights are as bright as they've ever been. My wife and I, we have different sleep habits and abilities. Personally, I can go into my bedroom, lay down on that bed, Light is on, TV's blaring, kids are yelling in the other room. If it's nighttime, I'm out. Give me three minutes. Gone. Done. There have been times that Jessica and I have been talking to one another, and I've been telling her something, and I've said, and you know, tomorrow we've got to go to the 
Then I'm out. Middle of a sentence. Gone. It's the most beautiful, wonderful thing in my life. And I'm so sorry if you are one of those people, like my wife, that the conditions have to be perfect to fall asleep. If that's you this morning, may God be with you. I'm sorry. I know it must be difficult for you. Okay? But we make our room as dark as we can make it. There has to be a fan over in the corner set on the second level. Three is too high. One's too low. There has to be just enough hum from that fan to make things just right. The fan above the bed has to be on the medium setting, and then there'll be an extra blanket that Jessica puts over herself, okay? She wants to not just have the regular sheets. She wants the extra blanket. If we turn the fan off, do you need the extra blanket? No. Is it logical? No. Ladies, are you logical? Praise God. Thank you. Amen. Somebody's with me. All right. Let's just turn the fan off. Then we don't need the extra blanket. No, it doesn't work that way. She can't sleep that way. But here's the other thing. We have to cover up the lights in the room. When you get ready to go to bed, if it is hard for you to go to sleep, have you ever noticed that the little light that's over there on your cable box, that tiny little thing that you never even noticed and you can't tell during the day if it's on or if it's off, it's like a spotlight beaming through your eyeballs. You're like, oh, what's that bright light? You look during the day and you look over there at your alarm clock. You can't even tell what the numbers say, what lit up is it. And then you look over at it in the nighttime and it's like somebody's got their high beams on you while you're driving down the road. You cover up all the light that you can. Because when the darkness is the darkest, the light shines the brightest. I'm going to try something this morning. It didn't work real well during our Christmas Eve service. These lights give us fits. I'm going to try to turn them off, and we're going to try to have one last illustration. Okay? Hopefully they'll stay off. All right. They're off. Lord, don't let them come back on just Now, there's a little bit of light, but I need my flashlight in order to get up these steps. And get back to where I am. I got my flashlight, but I can't, I can't see you guys very well. And man, it's bright when you look at it, but from this distance, it's probably not that bright, is it? You know, if you've got a phone this morning, would you take your phone out and turn on your flashlight? We're not going to sway it like we're at a rock concert. Just take out your phone and turn it on for me. Get that flashlight going. Everybody just got one. This may not be everybody, but I can see you. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We are the light of the world. And if we don't shine our light together, it's going to be one tiny little incandescent bulb. We'll never make the impact that Christ has called us to make. He is the light in our heart and in our lives. And we are called to come together and shine His light for all to see. But folks, I I feel like what happens to us is we get caught off guard by everything that's going on in life. We get distracted and used to the darkness. You know, we could just leave these flashlights on the rest of the service. I can get around pretty well. We could probably open some doors and let a little bit more light in. But boy, isn't it? Isn't it a lot easier to see like this? They're still flickering. We'll get them. There we go. Jesus is the light of the world. He has given us his light that we might shine it before all 
humanity. And if you try and be on your own and go shine your light by yourself, you'll never make the impact that all of our lights together will make. And so I I encourage you, don't just shine your light for Jesus. Do that. Yes, trust in the light. Shine your light. But join up with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we have churches. So that together our light shines brighter than it ever would on its own. This morning, do you trust in the light? Do you believe that Jesus is the light? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. We were in deep darkness. The light has shone on us. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. Are we being a light for the nations? To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. Are we bringing out those who sit in darkness? Isaiah 49, 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the, the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. All nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Church, when we shine for Christ together, When we as God's people shine together, the darkness will cover the earth, the thick darkness, but the Lord will rise through us. His glory will be seen in us and the nations will come to Christ through us. How are you letting your little light shine? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Will you shine for Christ? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the light of the world and that the darkness still, 2,000 years later, has not overcome you. Lord, I know there's plenty of times in my life where my light is dim. There are times when I'm not walking and shining my light with brothers and sisters. I'm trying to shine a flashlight all on my own, Lord. All I can see are the few steps ahead of me. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me. Lord, that you would forgive us when we trust the darkness more than your light. When we turn from your light to the darkness. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that is still sitting in darkness, would you draw them unto your light? That your light may may shine through and break the hold the darkness has upon them. Would they trust in you today? 
Lord, for those of us who know that we have your light within us, but we haven't been shining like we should, help us, Lord. Everywhere we go, everything we do, whether we're at work, whether we're at the ball field, whether we're at home, or anywhere in between, help us, Father, to shine your light so that the nations and all those around us may see your glory shining upon us as we reflect you. Lord, help us to be like the moon, just a reflection of the sun. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.